Okay, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mocha Talks podcast. Tonight we have myself, Josue Rosales, um, construction management major and the president of the Men of Color Alliance, and our beautiful guests. Go ahead, Darren. Oh. Amazing. So, I'm happy to have you all on to this podcast. We haven't been able to have anybody from CSUN yet. So, to have the top dogs of CSUN, that's amazing. So, let's start off talking about what what's happening in UNLV and the newest, the biggest changes on campus. So, as before, there's some more tuition increases that have been making a, a struggle for a lot of students. Um, do you all have any info on that? undergraduate students being six dollars per credit um obviously that was very frustrating to deal with you know at, at the entry level and kind of hearing them discuss those you know credits or the credit surcharges um applying everyone and you know it, they, they said it was a last ditch effort basically that they have exhausted all other kind of opportunities and levels and stuff like that it is frustrating to you know, go into kind of transparent Nevada and see how much, you know, each of them are getting paid and then see like, oh, that's funny. None of them took a pay cut or anything like that. But, you know, they're having students, you know, pay more for their tuition and then they're cutting certain faculty and stuff like that. So that's just an interesting, I guess, uh, note about that. But do you want to add anything, Olivia? Josh pretty much covered it. It's just really interesting how we're getting charged six dollars per credit and meanwhile we just hired a new chancellor but our outgoing chancellor i believe he is still getting paid so um the nevada system of higher education is currently paying for two chancellors while we're getting charged surcharges to cover the covid19 um budget shortfalls it's that's insane and on top of that it's and it so many of my my residents have come up to me saying um, that they've been having more fees additional to their to their class and everything, and we've uh, we've kind of pushed them towards the the easier routes to get kind of get that fixed. But it's just still a struggle that 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 has to be something that needs to be fixed, if that makes sense. Like technology fees or different homework fees and stuff like that. Like I know one of my professors, she added the textbook to our tuition after, yeah. And it was it's a very interesting one because it, it, the way that she set it up is like once you open it for the class, then it's charged to your MyUNLV. Huh. Yeah. Uh, that would be a follow-up email. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
That's interesting. Um, how are y'all enjoying online classes? I don't know if you work better as an, through an online class or if it's if it's more of a struggle. Like for me personally, I can't focus fully for an online class. Just sitting there, kind of looking at a monitor for an hour and fifteen minutes, it's just a struggle. I completely relate to that being with the attention span of a small child it's like it's pretty bad just because like just sitting in the chair like just listening to them talk and then you lose track for a second and they're on the whole next chapter and you don't even know <laughs> um, so yeah no and I've reached out to some of my professors I still have yet to hear back from one of my professors who hasn't even given me any like notes or any direction so and I have other residents that have said that they've talked to their professors they don't even know what's happening so it's just a struggle for I know for the professor aspect and for the students because some of them don't really know how to really go through like the online class route so they just kind of put the notes on and that's it but yeah was such a privilege that I never really thought twice about until we did shut down back in the spring and I realized that it was really hard to work from home just because that's that's my home environment I'm used to playing with my dog or spending time with my family so it always felt kind of weird and I went into a really long phase especially over the summer where that separation became problematic Problem, that lack of separation became problematic because I just got into a habit of working from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed. Um, over the summer, obviously, between CSUN and summer classes, I was also an orientation leader, 
and also a student researcher. So I didn't know how to stop working because I, it was a new normal where you worked from home. So I would wake up and I would do things for my student researcher position. I would do orientation from home, which was just drastically different from my first summer doing it. I would go to my summer classes, I would work on homework, and then I would do stuff for CSUN, and then I would just go to bed. And it wasn't healthy. So I think that one of the privileges, even though it isn't normal right now, one of the privileges that did kind of come back a little bit with campus, campus reopening was that there are limited spaces on campus to go get work done. So that has helped with the separation problem a little bit, but definitely it is not like the same as before. virtually everything, but the Board of Regents has always kind of had that independence, 
So there has been a lack of accountability in the Nevada system of higher education because of it. And there have been some scandals in the past, but accountability and transparency and oversight are kind of the big takeaways about question one, because the Board of Regents would now be overseen by the Nevada State Legislature. So if they did want to make some changes to kind of clean things up or hold people accountable or audit them or et cetera, et cetera, that's kind of what ballot question one would do is provide that extra layer of oversight for the sake of accountability. That was a very good summary of a pretty complex and very, very nuanced conversation, I guess, and problem that's been ongoing. I will say more on the working with administration and faculty and things like that. Um, when it comes to question one in general and when it comes to kind of working with NCHI and the Board of Regents and the different institutions, um, it is interesting to see that a lot of the administration and faculty will kind of you know, walk on their tippy toes when they're talking about that, just because I'm sure there's plenty of other conversations behind closed doors that they have and they attend that, you know, they, they understand some of the, the mistreatment that uh, UNLV and other Southern institutions kind of face from NCHI and because of other Northern institutions, but I don't think they're as, I, I guess we'll say, as free to kind of express some of those opinions because you know, they have to work with NCHI and, you know, these Northern institutions directly. So I, I think it, it gives us an advantage because we know they agree with us, but we all, we have significantly more freedom to say whatever the heck we want to say because I'm, I'm not in a behind the closed door meeting with these regents or with the chancellor or anything like that. Um, I will say kind of touching back on the tuition thing in, in reference to what Ms. Wave was talking about, I guess, uh, about the homework fees and kind of these different fees that are popping up and, you know, professors are putting them in the tuition and stuff like that. I will say this is a definitely, that is a definitely an ongoing conversation that we've had our eyes about for a long time and we've talked to administration and faculty about. Um, they've definitely handled the situation really interestingly, um, but I will say that it is federal law that they're not allowed to be charging you for things that don't show up on your my UNLV registration at the time that you register for the class. So there's definitely, the, the language itself is really interesting and there's definitely kind of some loopholes that they're trying to use and stuff like that. But I will say from the different conversations that I've had with administration and faculty and other students and stuff like that, that the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education has actually, you know, this issue has been put on their radar and they know this is going on and they expressed interest in actually investigating what was happening and kind of uh, getting more information about what was going on because of how the issue was addressed to them. They said that this was totally unfair for the university to be, to be doing and that students were completely justified and correct and kind of complaining about this. Um, so we'll see where that leads and what happens you know, once they kind of bring down the hammer, I guess, and step in. But just so you all are aware of that as well. Um, do I think this, that will be solved tomorrow? Probably not. But in a few weeks or things like that, you know, we, we've already seen that Chris Heavey, the vice provost, kind of sent that student official talking about that directly and kind of talking about potential refunds and stuff like that. So. You know, crossing your fingers that things go well, but 
that 100%. That's definitely a conversation I, I have with administration faculty, like basically every every other meeting and stuff like that. So. Well, thanks for elaborating on that for me, y'all. I really especially wanted to see y'all's perspective because, like Hosway said, we haven't had the opportunity to talk to anyone from CSUN yet. And like I said, y'all like that direct line, um, and especially along, more along so, I can't talk, are more along the lines of like policy, procedure, um, like you were saying, like legislation and how higher education in Nevada differs from like every other state. And so how navigating that is like a whole different monster of its own. So thank you. I appreciate it. No, definitely. I really do appreciate both of you guys joining us, both of y'all joining us, because the, like it is important just to hear this more perspective and hear from this direct line to actually be able to learn about this type of stuff. Because um, in our previous podcast, which we haven't been able to post because of some technical issues, but we even talked about how there were some increases in tuition that most students just don't even know why until we actually, like, you have to look deep or actually do some research to actually figure it out but uh, other than that like we weren't really informed it was more of just an informing just informed to that you will have that like tuition increase and that's about it if that makes sense yep um so absolutely. oh go ahead oh sorry i was just saying yes absolutely <laughs> Oh, uh, also, real quick thing for me to mention is um, it's okay to be silent and have moments like this. We'll cut it out and kind of cut out any ums, buts, or anything like that, too. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, additionally to that, um, we want to go to our, like, main topic of being, like, being a student leader of color. Since, like, Darren and I were the biggest, like, what's the word I'm looking for example I guess of like student leaders of color right now since we're we're the ones that are really pushing clubs that are formed only for students of color so um we want to hear a little bit from y'all's perspective and what kind of led you to the platform to or led you to the route to go to CSUN and stuff like what what made you want to fight for student government I'll go first. Um, it, it, it's interesting. It, I didn't necessarily want when I first learned about CSUN, right? I didn't know that you know we got paid or that it was like you know this many hours we're gonna have to go into you know doing things and stuff like that. When I first joined CSUN, my intention was just like I think I could do a good job, right? And I've always been interested in you know helping students, but through kind of different law changes or policy changes or things like that, right, that can help a a lot of students with, you know, minimal kind of the amount of time and stuff like that. Um, So that's how I originally got interested in CSUN because it was, uh, I thought it was, would be the most effective way to help students. When I got in CSUN, I kind of, you know, it's interesting because we attend one of the most diverse universities in the nation, right, the makeup of this student government and kind of the students here was significantly different from kind of the makeup of different student governments that my peers attending different colleges kind of across the nations talked about. And I, I felt really, I guess, I don't know what the correct word would be, but 
I appreciated the fact that it was as diverse as it is because it meant that there would be a, a very nice collaboration of different students from different cultures with different mindsets and perspectives that would be able to come together and help all students, right? Not, you know, a, a majority of students that come from one culture or, you know, have one background that think, you know, they speak for everyone and think that they can sympathize with kind of other students and their experiences, right? It, it, it's different when you have someone from that perspective or that has that perspective or that has that background that doesn't need to sympathize, right, with some someone else to, like, for, to think what, you know, what they're thinking, right? They, they are that student that went through that experience that has that background, right, so they can talk about it firsthand. And that's, that's just really nice. Um, it's definitely the environment and the makeup here in CSUN is significantly different from other universities, which is unfortunate, but also something that we're continuing to, you know, as together kind of push and change and things like that. Um, I will say being kind of, not being kind of, being Mexican and going to some of these meetings are, are really interesting, not necessarily in CSUN, but when I, I go to some of the, you know, Nevada System of Higher Education meetings or things like that, right, the, the regents, there's only two of them that are, you know, people of color. And that's really, really frustrating, I guess, to say the least, right, because you have the state of Nevada, right, and Reno and Las Vegas specifically being so, so, so diverse, right, and then you have these institutions, these southern institutions and the rest, but the southern ones specifically that are so, so diverse, and then you have the governing body of those institutions be made up predominantly of kind of people from one background, and that's frustrating because they are the ones that are deciding everything, like I said, for you know, all of the institutions, even though they don't have the same perspectives or backgrounds that I do or that, you know, you two do or that Olivia does or that anybody really does because it's it's not a, a melting pot yet at that level. It's just, you know, majority minority situation. I definitely agree with what Josh said. And I think that looking at CSUN and looking at the diversity in our student organizations and just on UNLV's campus in general, I think it does give me a lot of hope for the future because yes, we're the student leaders now, but someday we're going to be the community leaders and we're going to be the leaders at other levels and other positions. So kind of like Josh said, currently out of the 13 regents, two of them are people of color, correct? So obviously that is the situation right now, but if you have a school like UNLV that is the most diverse in the nation and that's represented in student government and in registered student organizations, those students are going to be the future of governance and politics and representation at pretty much every level. So I think looking at UNLV gives me a lot of hope for the future of our um, community as a whole and just so that we can always continue on this path towards progress and equity for all people. I love that. That's amazing from, from both y'all. Because especially in in Mocha, I, I don't want to speak on woke, but on <laughs> but especially for Mocha, we're like we're trying to really fight for that to really show that we're trying to make changes for equity and show that like 
yeah, just because we're people of color doesn't mean that we can't do this or can't do that. Just because we're men doesn't mean that we can't do this or whatever. We want to really kind of destroy those boundaries and those boxes that society has kind of created that are problematic to today's world. And going forward, I feel like, I feel like exactly like Olivia was saying, like I feel hopeful looking at UNLV and looking at like just the community as a whole as it grows into something bigger and hopefully this that these changes could actually happen. Uh, you guys both not for that. We agree. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like Jose said on both of y'all's points, um, it's something that I, that's a very good point that I myself lose perspective on a lot of the time um, because with a lot of the recent events that have been going on, it gets so frustrating and it's so easily easy to get caught up in like nothing's gonna happen like we're all fighting so much for this change and we're only seeing small incremental changes that so often are just performance acts more so than they are actual steps to provide tangible equitable changes that people would like to see um so i really appreciate you bringing that point up because it does it's an idea that a lot of people especially young folks who are fighting for that change have to remind themselves of because like I said of how frustrating it gets just being like nothing is happening <laughs> I'm so angry at this <laughs> but it's yeah so that's I think that's a great point that you made um and I do have a question for all three of y'all actually that I was talking about um in our first woke meeting yesterday um well some might be bored and then some of our attendees started chiming in too of the idea of how like Josh brought up the idea of being in predominantly white spaces and you either having to play the idea of like face of the race card or having to speak on behalf of so many people when like you're only living in your singular lived experience Um, and the idea of how even though UNLV is one of is the or one of the I'm not sure if number one number two I know it's looking right now like right now but um let's just say the most ethically diverse um university in the nation as of right now um but the idea is still when you walk into your classes um oftentimes it doesn't feel like that because um, i know at least for me i am the one black student or presumptively black student um visually that i can identify um not to dismiss like my white passing folks of color um but i'm like the one black student in most of my classes and that's how it's been the last four semesters um, that I've been at UNLV, which is crazy just because um, it also switches in through different majors and things like that. But for me, in the College of Hospitality and in Fine Arts, it's like every time I'm in a room, I'm like the only one in the room, um, which is a crazy feeling to have to like replicate. And um, so it's become such a sense of normalcy for me that I don't really recognize it until something rubs me the wrong way, or until something is said that is like, mm, I feel like a lot of, no one's gonna have an issue with this, except for me and my little brown little experience that I'm the only person through right now um, who can necessarily speak on it. Um, so I kinda wanna like ask y'all how does, if you have similar experiences, or is it, is how often it is that you kind of have that conversation with yourself of like, I am in this state, um, and how often am I going to be looked at as you are one lived experience in this space 
we're going to refer to you as such kind of thing. Um, not necessarily in a bad way or if that is your experience in a bad way. Um, but it's like how that feels for you, um, like knowing, yes, equity diverse institution, but um, the kind of disproportionate representation that we already kind of spoke on in higher education in certain spaces, like how does it make y'all feel? That's a really good question and a really, really good comment. Um, I will say, for me particular, being a civil engineer, I don't tend to be one of the only kind of people in color in my classes. It's usually made up surprisingly very, you know, diverse, and you have a lot of students in there that from different backgrounds. I will say, though, with my classes, and I, I will not speak kind of for their experiences or how they feel, but there definitely is a huge difference between the kind of male to female ratio um, of being, you know, you definitely walk in and like you said, there's probably only one or two kind of, you know, women that are in that class, you know, and I, I can't imagine how they feel, but it, it definitely sucks that that's the case. And I, I really wish and hope and, and obviously advocating for, um, you know, pushing for civil engineering and all engineering kind of STEM related fields to be more inclusive of kind of everybody. Thank, thank, both, thank you to both of you for sharing that. And I feel like one of the, I completely agree with, with Josh when he was saying that, like, the engineering and like the construction fields are pretty diverse. But even in that moment, even in those classes, I mean, the, like sometimes or most of the times, the professors aren't really the most diverse. Yep. But, and so that one kind of pulls you away a little bit. It, uh, well, not for me personally, no, but. I could pull people away from that class to having that deeper connection with a professor when you're like trying to learn from them and see how they progress to their position. Um, 
and I feel and we've talked about this before on the podcast of just like uh, the diversity of faculty and how that kind of makes some disconnect for students. So, yeah. Definitely. I will say totally on that point is uh, while the classes and kind of the students themselves are really diverse, you're totally right when it comes to the professors and some of the faculty kind of in upper division in, in general kind of in engineering and STEM. And, and I will say as a point to that in my internship, right, which I, I can't believe I didn't bring up, but yeah, I am the only person of color at that internship. And I remember, you know, that first week of kind of like going there, it was like, holy crap, I'm, you know, it's all, you know, not that that was an issue, but yeah, it kind of is an issue, right? And it's like, all of them were older kind of white individuals. And it was like, okay, this is really interesting, right? And some of the conferences and, you know, other bigger meetings that I've gone to, right? It's like, that's the norm, right? Some of the meetings that we've had with the city of Las Vegas and some of the projects and the other engineers that work, I, I can only recall one other meeting where there was someone else that I could visibly, you know, see that was a, a person of color, right? And he was uh, also Latino and he was an engineer for the city of Las Vegas. But I, I mean, you're totally right on that spot on this way. And I can completely agree with that too, because um, I've had, um, I was a member of the this program called ACE Mentors which is like architecture, construction, engineering. And I've been able to like meet lots of professionals in the field and everything. And I'd end up in spaces that majority are just like white men. And there's like two or three Latino, maybe maybe a few like um, African-American individuals. And then that's about it. And it's majority like, it's about 80% just white males. And but then when I was in that in that program, I would like actually try to help the like mentees that I had and stuff like that and mentees that were growing into it to really push for it because it was a very diverse group that was really trying to get up into that profession. So I think that goes back to like just having hope for the community a bit more, just seeing how more people want to see that, want to get into those positions, more people want to actually fight for those changes. So yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I I actually do have a, a comment and a question. I guess you know for the three of you as well. Uh, the one being, or the point about Darian was saying something about kind of. Uh, performance-wise, right, and, like, performative activism and things like that. Um, I will, I guess, say the comment and then the question, but the comment being it's UNLV being and as much appreciation and gratefulness that I have for this university and the things that it does, um, I, I will give an example of kind of the university. One of the things that CSUN wants to do and that students voted on was the we have the 5k initiative where you can submit kind of projects and we'll fund them if you know it within the five thousand dollars and you know get them up and running some of them being the shade structures and kind of uh the uh, oops, blanking on them but one of them was voted on and it was a mural so it's been interesting to kind of figure out and the logistics of and stuff like that but we currently find ourselves in kind of a, a you know argument with the university because we wanted the mural 
we want it to be very visible. We want it to be at a very populated kind of area of campus, right? And we wanted the theme, we thought it would be really, really appropriate if the theme was Black Lives Matter. Um, in that in and of itself, right, I, I think a majority of people can agree, like that sounds like a great idea, right? Students, you know, it, it's very relevant. Um, it's super duper important. Students voted on this, they, you know, they want a mural and I, I think a lot of students would connect with it. And yet we find ourselves kind of having to argue this with administration because they don't want to, you know, give us the green light to do it. So I guess the question, right, for you three is, does UNLV do enough for, you know, you know to, to have that one of the most diverse institutions in the nation title, does it do enough for, you know, that diverse or this diverse population of students? Um, I think, is it okay if I take this one first this way? Go ahead. Um, so I actually was also just talking about this in our meeting yesterday. Um, and at least for, I had one of our new members or like interested members um, come up to me and kind of start talking to me about like, oh, I didn't even know like this organization existed. Um, it's so hard to actively connect to identity-based organizations and things like that, uh, whether it be like less funding or less advertisement whatever the, the issue may be. Um, and then she started um, talking to me about, oh yeah, and I, uh, um, I transferred here from, I think it was UC um, Merced in California. Um, she was talking to me about, oh yeah, like um, I also didn't even know that throughout like my three, four years here that we don't have like a black student center. We don't have different um, identity-based multicultural centers for all these students of color which we receive grants and funding and funding and funding for, since we are a minority serving institution, um, a Latinx serving institution, um, and things like that. And at least from my experience, um, and understanding the assets and the ways that universities can support these students of color, um, I personally can't say that I believe UNLV does do enough. Um, and that's, is definitely from that's from my experience um but just because even like i said i feel like the idea of since we don't have multicultural centers for these groups of individuals that we have on our campus shows speaks volumes just to that um because a ton of other institutions especially um like uc schools and things along those lines that may receive more funding due to higher tuition and things like that. Um, but if we are going to call ourselves an institution that is minority, actively minority serving instead of minority utilizing, um, I feel like there has to be a step up um, and that drive amongst admin to be proactive instead of reactive when things go wrong and students start having to push back, um, which has been the case the last three years that I've been actively working at housing that we've seen with certain instances that have happened on campus um, that have been whether to due to people's uh, racial identities, ethnic identities, um, political affiliations, things like that. Um, yeah, so, and there definitely has, there's been active work that's been happening and there's been conversations that have been being had um, that 
that's good. It's progress. I'm not going to knock it, knock back, like, oh, nothing's happening from this. Because it is. Um, it's allowing um, more folks who can attest to these lived experiences in the room where it happens. And uh, that will, in turn, result in the things that we would like to see or hopefully would like to see. Um, and like you said, I think it'd be a great idea to have like the Black Lives Matter mural. But also, um, since we are in a state that, as pretty, all three of y'all probably know, we're definitely a battleground state. Like, of course, Natalie's blue in a lot of aspects. But just because the majority, Eclipse University is always still like, but what about the minority? Um, in certain aspects that we're not necessarily, <laughs> in aspects that aren't like, how are we going to serve minority population? It's more so flipped aspects of this, like, how is this statement that heavily resonates with uh, minority populations inflammatory to what is in this country the majority, which yeah, is crazy. Um, so yeah, that's that on that, at least from my perspective, for me. Um, but yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, wait, hold on. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I completely agree with everything that Darren was saying. And um, just that there was a lot that Darren said that, I, that it's just... Because we've, we've talked about this before, Darren and I, and then a bunch of other colleagues and friends. Um, because a lot of our members always come up and ask about different programs that other schools have, but our school doesn't have. And I feel like UNLV takes, UNLV has diversity, yes, and they can say that they're the most diverse campus, but they are not inclusive to that diversity at all, by any means. And there's so many people that don't really feel like they have, like, a voice on campus, so then that's when, like, like, I have residents that have always brought up that they don't know where to actually go for or, like, who to talk to about certain things, and I kind of redirect them to like RSOs or CSUN or RHA and stuff like that. But it's, I, I like, I've always felt that UNLV doesn't have that, the right mindset of diversity. They just see it as, yeah, we have the numbers and that'll give us more funding and that's basically it. They're not inclusive for those people that are actually on this campus. So yeah, other than that, Darren kind of covered all the rest <laughs> I 100% agree. I think that what we have in front of us is a university that, well, I'm definitely appreciative of the opportunities we have here. I think we have a university that fears big structural change that is necessary for progress and necessary for equity. I think that despite having our diversity, um, this university kind of takes a conservative approach sometimes, and it's kind of similar to what Darian said with, instead of thinking about how can we do something good that may resonate with um, a minority group, it becomes how do we keep from offending the majority, but the majority of the U.S., for lack of a better term. So I think back to what Josh brought up with the mural, for example, and obviously, first of all, a mural is not enough. Um, murals have to be matched with anti-racist policies and anti-racist practices. But going back to the mural thing, so kind of from CSUN's end, what we are fighting with right now is that the idea was brought up of, oh, what if we did a banner instead? And, and 
have certain concerns with what if a student gets hurt while painting the mural or we don't want you to face a building. But I think you, it's, I, I think it's dangerous to fear change and to fear these things that are going to resonate well with students. Because first of all, the mural is something that students voted on. And second of all, the idea of a banner just seems very performative. It seems like this is something we'll put up because it's the conversation of 2020. But once the conversation dies down, it'll be something that we can tear down. And that's not how this is at all. Like this is clearly addressing a movement that has come after systemic racism and we need to be at the forefront of the change and the forefront of big structural overhauls to create progress. Just to clarify real quick, the option or the suggestion of the banner came from UNLV administration telling us like, no, don't do the mural, Let's, why don't we do a banner instead? And, and CSUN and us, we said, no, we're, we're doing the mural, tell us who said no so that we can have the direct conversation. Just to clarify. Even then, that the reasoning for the banner too was uh, what I found interesting. Of like, someone could get hurt making the banner. I mean, making the mural. But why not have someone like? Why would they get hurt? Like, I feel like that's a bigger problem. <laughs> um, no, and I completely agree. Like, all is we need to really show that this, the systematic racism and systematic oppression that's been happening throughout the country we can start changing it just through UNLV. We could start making these changes through Vegas and start seeing stuff actually end. Because like, there's so many problems happening within the city, within the nation, and it's, I love the idea of doing the mural. I absolutely agree with what Olivia was saying about the banners just kind of like a throwaway type thing. It's just to kind of put on a show for everybody. Um, but no, I completely agree. And they kind of pulled the same situation when um, during all the stuff, all the stuff was happening at the beginning of COVID season and people were being like racially profiled because they were Asian and everybody was saying that like they're the reason that COVID or like whatever or like kicking them out of class and UNLV administrations just didn't want to see that or mention that. And then they were saying like, oh, we put it in the, in the newspaper, but what? That's not, that's not enough at all. Like, yeah. so thank you both for sharing. Um, we're right now at 47 minutes. So um, if y'all want to continue, we can go up to an hour, but I want to hear from y'all to see if you guys have the time for it. We obviously have the time. <laughs> okay. It's up to you, up to you all, obviously. Um, Darren, what about you? Um, I'm down for whatever. Do you have another like topic that you like to discuss? Um, up, like the 13. I feel like we kind of started touching on a good topic of like inclusivity on campus and like all the diversity and stuff like that. Um, what, I'm trying to think of a good way to, like, go with this question that I had in my, what has been the biggest problem f 
fighting for diversity on campus? Like, is it just people trying not to go that route? If that makes sense? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, I'll go for it. Um, definitely what Olivia was saying is the, the reluctance, the hesitance, right? Because the best example is a mural, right? I guarantee if we put up, you know, Black Lives Matter, someone is going to say something and you know, in, in the opposition of it for whatever reason, right? And and you're right, the, the university has a track record of like not, of being afraid of that fight, of bringing, being afraid of like those conversations for some reason. And I don't know why, but in, in that's kind of the, the struggle that we face is, yeah, we do have a lot of ideas and we do have a lot of, you know, things that we want to implement, but every time, especially if it's, making a powerful statement or it's a powerful change or something like that just how Olivia said it's like it, the university takes a conservative conservative approach when it comes to you know the these big changes that you know are, are going to empower minority students on campus but might ruffle a few feathers depending on you know other people's opinions or perspectives or things like that and it's It'll just be nice when finally the university just realizes that it's, you know, not really care about the ruffling of feathers and just kind of empower the students who, you know, make up the majority of Vegas and kind of, you know, the Southern Nevada, so. No, definitely. And I feel like one of the biggest things, too, was just doing more programs that kind of advocate and help the minority community, like. Uh, Mocha, for example, is uh, they we're working on it. They're in the very early stages right now, but we're trying to see about doing like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like a conference for people of color, not just for one identity group, but like all people of color, and kind of get or like organized with different um colleges to actually show that if we're the most diverse campus in the nation, then we should need to show that. And we need to actually like represent those people of color and those minority communities that before here aren't really represented anywhere else. So that's I, I don't know what are your thoughts on like doing like big bigger programs like that. back 
to changes that occur um, because people want to be on the side of caution, but the side of uh, caution that we've seen historically doesn't always necessarily end up on the right side of history. Um, And I feel that's something that I 100% always think about um, when people think about issues that issues that people either feel are too political or too this or too um, heavily associated with these kinds of people and things along those lines, people start, anytime there's backlash or there's the possibility of backlash, people get real quiet and people start to think about, okay, how is this going to affect everything? Which of course, granted, in the idea of high education, you have to because especially if we're talking about donors, if we're talking about this, if we're talking about that, um, like where is the money coming from? Where is like our funding coming from? Are they coming from, um, in turn, the kinds of, are the people that are supporting the university um, people that are going to support these initiatives for change, which a lot of the time it has been no. <laughs> like you have been saying, um, just think about the backlash that we've had since people want to get a new mascot with Taylor Reb. People were talking about, I'm never going to support this university again, and I was such a diehard Rebels fan, and this and that, and I was so actually brought up a I just said something I apologize but um, <laughs> so that actually brought up another um, interesting thing a discussion about like the mascot and everything like that is there any bigger updates on that aspect of, of like the university um, go ahead so I was actually just going to say that we had President Whitfield at our last Senate meeting on Monday and while the issue of the mascot did not get addressed at that meeting. There were a lot of senators who didn't get to ask their questions to Doctor to President Whitfield. So um, we're currently, me and Josh are currently collecting all of those questions to send to him by the end of the week. And one of those questions is for an update on the mascot. So while we don't have one right now, that should be coming soon once we send that email over to President Whitfield. Oh, great. Um... I I roughly had a um, meeting with President Whitfield. I believe that was last. I don't remember what day, but it's been a it's been a busy year. But I had a meeting with him, and he also brought up that 
he wants to bring a lot of change to campus so i'm excited for what he's going to be able to bring um so i think it's going to be a better year but that will be the end of this episode of mocha talks thank you for listening to mocha talks i am jose rosales Oh. I'm Olivia Checky. And I'm Joshua Padilla. Thank you for listening.